Hello, Steven here from CanadianGameDevs.com, and welcome to another interview. This week, we're talking to Megan Byrne about her path to game development, her experience in school, her experience running a game studio, and all the financial pressures that come with it, as well as her thoughts on native representation in games and media as a native creator, and so much more. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Hi, my name is Megan Byrne. I'm a Indigenous Métis game designer from Hamilton, Ontario. I am the lead mechanic and narrative designer for Atchewasan Games. So I'm curious, how is working on a video game during a global pandemic? <laughs> uh, it's not any different because we're we're already a remote team. Gotcha. Um, in terms of like the the logistics, I guess is no different. Obviously, like um, mentally. Mentally, people are kind of going through a hard time. Also, like, we, it's almost like this was the best time for us for a pandemic to happen, if that makes sense, because okay. we've been having a hard time get, uh, securing funding. Mm-hmm. Um, so everyone's kind of been in a holding pattern since about November. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of everyone's doing their own thing. Um, half of our staff have other jobs and the other half are, like, self-employed or students um so it's been kind of everyone's been like understanding we're very upfront about like where we're at with financing um and we all kind of knew that going in that it was going to be like this um because it is like our first major project um we don't have a lot of experience between the 11 of us um so it ends up being one of those things where oh we really like the project but you know we just don't trust the team to get it done and Mm. sorry and and even like that's even true of things that are like you know those prototyping ones that are kind they're supposed to be for like newer groups so you can kind Mm -hmm. of test them out like even then we're kind of having a hard time with it Mm -hmm. Uh, but we all kind of expected that uh i actually just left my full-time job in March to run the studio full time. Um, Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. It's like right before this all happens. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, wow. I know, like literally two weeks before. So like I gave like a month's notice and then like the last two weeks of that, we went, we were put on um, stay at home mm-hmm. and it was just like such a weird and like I still have my stuff in my hmm. office I still have the keys I like have to like basically once the pandemic's over I still have to go back in and like get my stuff and hand over my my keys and cards and stuff which is like weird it's weird I know I even well because they also did it while I was away at a conference so everybody else was able to prepare whereas like I literally came home and they're like don't come in <laughs> okay oh no yeah so it's like kind of yeah, it's kind of a weird way to end things. It didn't even really feel like an ending. So your whole team's working remotely, and now that they don't have other jobs, are they able to spend more time on the game? Oh, actually, everyone still has their jobs. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, or their students. So they're all still... Um, it's not like business as usual, but it's still... Like, they're still working. Right. Um, and then also, uh, I'm kind of... Right now, I'm doing a lot more of the business stuff that... I was putting off um, Mm -hmm. and also we're trying to go in for that next round of funding come August. So we're gearing up for that. Um, So I don't have like a ton of time to focus on anything other than just like what we need 
to get that vertical slice done and per- probably not even going to be a particularly polished vertical slice, which is like frustrating mm-hmm. um, being a, you know, a younger group because you never really know what publishers or funders want because there are going to be those funders that just don't understand if it's polished, that it's not finished. They think mm-hmm. that's it. Um, and then there's the publishers and the funders who are like, if you hand them something that doesn't have final or final looking ish art, they're going to be like, well, I don't understand what this is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's a little bit frustrating. You kind of have to have a watermark on all the skins be like not final art or like mm-hmm. a little subtitle flashing, like not final art, but mm-hmm. it looks final. So yeah, that's stuff I'm learning and navigating especially since we're trying to do such an aesthetic looking piece. Um, that's definitely been difficult, but I feel like once I've, now that I've taken over doing this stuff full time, it's actually going to get done. Whereas before I was trying to like balance that while doing my full time job. Right. Which was, yeah. Really not working. Well, that's good. You got more time for that now. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you been playing any games while you're stuck at home? Uh, We started, my uh, roommate and his sister, uh, we were playing uh, Life is Strange 2, and then mostly, like, (laughs) like, SMTKing it while we're playing. Okay. Yeah. It was like, the the mechanics aren't as, like, well introduced in this one, and also, why am I playing the, like, bitchy older brother and not the little (laughs) kid powers, and yeah. Uh, last warm-up question. What, uh, if any, are your favorite Indigenous characters in games and or games by Indigenous creators? Um, there's not, like, a ton of Indigenous characters that I like that are in games. Mostly, mm-hmm. I don't know, because um, they're mostly tropes. They're not really Indigenous characters. I feel like, uh, is it Nona from uh, Never Alone? I really liked how cute she was. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like and I love the fox. I think actually the fox is my favorite. It's a little Arctic fox, right? It's like the side-scrolling yeah. one? Yeah. I think I played that one on Xbox. It was like one of the free games of the month. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's really pretty. So I was like, oh, I liked, and I really like the fox. Um, I just, I really like their whole relationship. So the two of them, I think, would be my favorite. <laughs> so you're not a fan of other more like, quote-unquote mainstream representations like like connor and assassin's creed 3 or i just did okay well like that has more to do with my feelings about like assassin's creed as a franchise Mm -hmm. how it like it really changed and it didn't it just didn't feel to me like the original uh in terms of like how oh just the climbing i don't want to talk about the climbing okay okay we don't have to talk about that (laughs) i'm curious what your earliest memory is with a video game Oh, man, uh, that would be... Okay, so just, like, context in my household, we weren't allowed to have consoles um, because my dad didn't trust them okay. as, like, mediums of anything. So he's like, well, why would... Like, he was a network administrator and a software designer, so we already had these really expensive PCs in our household. He's like, why would I buy another computer that can only play games when I can have this? Um, so actually I think the first games I ever really played were like those edutainment ones, like Reader Rabbit and, uh, what was that one with like the radio station where you had to learn math? 
But my first game that wasn't like educational was actually uh, BattleTech. Okay. Or Mech Warriors. Mech Warriors is the Xbox game. Uh, Mech Warriors is a really old game that actually started out as a strat, like a tabletop strategy game. Okay. Where you basically are like, there's like fra- uh, factions, and you're uh, a soldier, and you like get a mech, and then you get to like upgrade the mech and work on it but you have to basically go out on training modules and stuff i never got out of training it (laughs) was just absolutely terrible at teaching you anything you needed the book that came with it but my dad tossed the packaging oh no the manual so i had no idea how to control anything my dad even gone out and bought like at the time that really expensive um microsoft design joystick that worked like an actual sort of pilot's um, joystick. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> I just kept getting my ass kicked. Oh, no. So playing that. But the first video game I played that I actually uh, enjoyed playing and could do uh, was Diablo. Okay. Um, yeah, so I played Diablo. And then um, when I got a little older, we finally, my dad gave it, and we got an N64. was our first console Ooh. in the house. The best one. Yeah, the best one. I know. I paid so much. I got so mad because my brother gave it to me, and then I went away to university, and then he, like, gave it away because he thought I didn't want it anymore. Oh, like, no. Yes. That's tragic. I literally didn't take it with me because I was afraid of it getting stolen, and then it just didn't matter. Oh, that's so and sad. I know, right? I but took I a little think... Rubbermaid bin with a bunch of my old consoles to school with me. <laughs> yeah, my, my boyfriend now has his, and we've been, like, slowly trying to build up my childhood library. I Excellent. still can't find uh, N64 Tetris, though. I didn't even know there was one. Didn't oh, my God, it. it's the best Tetris ever. Is it better than Tetris 99? No. I really like Tetris 99. I don't know, man. I like. I grew up on, like, Tetris and, or, what was it? Uh, Tetris 64? Oh. So good. It was just like, um, it introduced a bunch of like new mini mechanics. They didn't really matter, but it was just kind of cool. Like you could build, if you could build like perfect squares, depending on the makeup of that square, you got like, it turned into a different material and then you got bonus points. And I love that. Interesting. I'll have to check that out. That sounds interesting. Oh, yeah. I loved all those. I just didn't like any of the shooting games. I've always been bad at shooting games. <laughs> First person, third person, or just in general? Any of them. I like, okay. yeah, I, I'm born to, like, snipe. And that's, you know, like, I, I usually go the range with my dad and stuff. But, like, mm-hmm. I do not do run around shooting. <laughs> so then what was your path to making video games? When was that an interest to you? Uh, okay, so I... This is a weird story, I think, for a lot of people, because, like, usually the narrative is like, oh, I wanted to make games since I was little. I actually wanted to go into animation, and when that didn't work out, I went into theater and live production. Mm-hmm. And I actually worked as an audio tech, a lighting designer, and a set designer for, oh, my God, like, five or six years um, before the, um, the recession kind of really, like, took the bottom out of that and I wasn't able to get like long-term serious work like I think in the August of 2009 or 2008 yeah 2009 uh everybody from the production house I worked for 
that was under the age of 30, they laid off. So they oh, wow. older guys. Yeah. So it wasn't just me. It was like a lot of younger people. And then, of course, I'm trying to compete with uh, with more experienced people. So mm-hmm. like that wasn't happening. I, I was doing a lot of volunteering. I ended up going back to working in uh, reception and like retail and just I could not get a regular job. And then I moved into doing event planning for a bit. And again, it was the same thing. Like I was getting paid more, but I couldn't get a stable job. It was all just like these short term, like six months, three months contracts. Mm-hmm. I think after the last one where they had sworn to me that they were probably going to hire me, you know, using that kind of language, like, oh, maybe. And if we like you. And mm-hmm. uh, and after I like busted my butt to sort of pull their event around from the slow decay it had gone into they were just like yeah no we don't really see a place for you here hmm. I was, yeah, I said, I'm, I'm done i'm done with mm-hmm. this um so while i was finishing up that contract i literally went and got the canadian uh, economic forecast that the the federal government had just put out and i was like what what are jobs what are jobs that are needed now i don't care if it's on an oil rig i'll figure it out and they were like video games and app development were like the top, like I think it was like number two spot for um, positions needed or, or roles needed to be filled. Mm-hmm. And I was like, game design, eh? So I just like <laughs> looked around and Sheridan just happened to be starting their own game design program. And I was like, okay. So I went in, I got in on the first cohort and I just really took to it. Uh, I always told stories like I'm, I'm pretty much a storyteller mm-hmm. and nothing I'd done before had really felt the way games felt like it really felt the way I wanted to tell stories like I like telling stories around in a room and kind of reacting to people and changing it as the reactions change and I felt like games was the closest I could get to that feel mm-hmm. uh, while still like not being there and yeah and so now I'm here <laughs> That's awesome. And that leads into my, my next question. So if this other interview we have is accurate, you left Sheridan three years ago, four years ago? Oh, my God, yes. Uh. <laughs> okay. So looking back on your time there, uh, would you recommend Sheridan's game design program? I won't recommend it now. Okay. Um, they've got a lot of problems that I don't know uh, if they're willing to address. I think the major problem is they don't have someone – heading up the program who's really passionate about games in and like video games and games in general in all its forms. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, that's it's, I've been very vocal about my criticism, even with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I understand how, um, you know, administrations and stuff like that are it's slow to move, but I just don't feel from them that they've got somebody at the helm who's really passionate about this program. And so it really trickles down in that, you know, they're not really hiring and maintain and retaining, sorry, the the staff that they should. The, because you don't have someone there passionate about video games, they're kind of like, well, I don't know who to hire. Um, if, you know, if they've worked for a good company, they hire them, but that's not the same as hiring somebody who's good at teaching games. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the game program has become very like, technical rather than well-rounded because for me this program worked for what I was uh, I wanted to do because I already had a degree in fine art and I had a degree in English literature but they're very much aiming it at like high school students and I was like 
this is really not a program for high school students because mm-hmm. it kind of uh, it kind of assumes that you know where in games you want to be, uh, but it teaches you a little bit of everything. It's very much a generalist program. And the thing with games is like, you know, that's great if you want to go in and start your own studio. I think the program in terms of what they offer when I was there was for people who are like, oh, I want to generally make games or I want to make games on my own or I want to make games in a small team. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now it feels more like they're trying to shift and shuffle things around to become something of a specialist. I don't know in what area because I haven't talked to any of the current students. Mm-hmm. But from what I've heard, like, it's way more based on programming, much less based on art, which I think is a, is a shame because it definitely is helpful to programmers to understand where the artists are coming from and actually have to do that work themselves to be like, oh, okay, this is why I can't ask for something and then have them turn around the next day and give it to me. Mm-hmm. But you, but because the program's not designed around people coming in with a specialty to learn generally, it's just kind of presented as like, oh, come here and you can make video games. I'm just like, that's not what companies are going to want. And mm-hmm. it only has turned into one of those sort of like, what is it? Like the Vancouver School of Art where like, if you're good and you're coming in, then you're going to be great when you come out. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're adequate when you go in, you're going to be adequate going out. Um, and so like, it's not really there to teach. It's more there to, just to refine, which I think is a shame um it would be nice if there were programs that were dedicated around like particular areas of games so that we could especially management like it would be amazing to have a video game management program that is generalist in that a manager does need to know how different departments do different things but is all based around the idea of like how do you manage a project how do you make sure this stuff actually happens and then, you know, have those other areas split up, you know, have a pro game programming, game art, game animation, um, narrative design, mechanic design. Like, I think all of these things are things that deserve their own full practice and their own full program because there's just so much there. Hmm. I honestly wasn't expecting that answer. Having talked to a couple current Sheridan students, that's really interesting. Oh, do they um, love it? Yeah. I mean, I've, I think the biggest strength I've heard is their co-op, which I know several game design programs, including the one I attended, didn't offer, have mm-hmm. already landed people in some jobs like at Gearbox in Quebec, Ubisoft, and, right. and from that angle, I've heard like a lot of people are really happy about that. But it is really interesting to hear the other side of this where and I, I've in my I went to um, Laurier Brantford for game oh. design development. Oh. Yeah, and I definitely feel some of those more bureaucratic issues (laughs) (laughs) where it seems like somebody in the arts department was like hmm games let's do a game thing and then a game program kind of got made where there wasn't a real passion for it you know what I'm saying yeah I think what was different about my year or years was that um the original person who spearheaded the program and did all the work and he did a lot of the work for like ever and that he left the year it got accepted and was approved Hmm. so it was a bit of a scramble so he had already done all the work of like getting the faculty and creating the syllabuses and like paying for that syllabus design and so they had something fairly solid for the first two years 
but he left uh, the summer before it kind of went live. Hmm. And um, I, I feel like because of all the work he put in, it managed to kind of like surf through for a few years, but then without somebody taking over who had the same level of passion and knowledge, it's now kind of gone on a slow, I think, descent down, which is, I think, too bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely, like, there was definitely problems when I was there. I'm not saying it was perfect, and now that I'm not there, it sucks. <laughs> um, you know, like, they were definitely, we were definitely guinea pigs. They were trying to figure stuff out, and I was like, yeah, okay, I expect that. Um, but, yeah, and then, like, for me, I did not have a good co-op experience. Oh, no. um, I, yeah, I literally, well, because the way that the system works is, like, the first person that says yes to you, so the first company that says they want you, you have to go to. Um, and I got picked up really quick by um, a department at Sheridan. Because, oh, oh, that was the other thing, too. You couldn't say no to interviews. Oh. So I was like, you can't say no to interviews. Um, also, at our time, the co-op was not in the summer. Uh, it was in the winter spring which that meant there was no opportunity for us to apply to those like really big summer internships like at ubisoft um ea had a summer internship we couldn't apply to that one blizzard Mm -hmm. like all these companies that already have pre-set up co-ops um we were no longer eligible for because we're going to be in school Mm -hmm. in the summer um so that was really frustrating. I remember a lot of people being really upset because I remember one guy was like really gearing for that Blizzard internship mm-hmm. that was going to be happening for four months in the summer. And oh my God, it was such, I was like, I thought I'd never seen a grown man cry before. Oh no. I was and I'm like, I felt for him because it That's was tragic. Like, that was his dream, right? Yeah. Like to, to get in, to at least have the opportunity maybe to apply because you couldn't that was the other thing about some of these like uh summer co-ops with these game companies is like you could not apply unless you were either in a games program or um software development program or like an arts program so they were very specific about where you could even apply from um so that that was definitely a big thing and then yeah with the the added rules of like you have to take every interview you like have to take the job with the first place that asks for you or hires you. And you're just like, oh my God. Like, so yeah, uh, a lot of my friends got to go to really cool studios and I got to stay in like a, a work area at Sheridan. And like, I loved my manager. He was really great, but oh my God, I was so upset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a bummer. Oh, okay. I got some questions about the studio, if that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm only gonna ask once. It's Achimostawanan Games. Achimostawanan. Achimostawanan. Achimostawanan Games. And Excellent. It means um, tell us a story in Cree. Okay. Yeah. I'll write that down. Uh, so who makes up the team? You said there's eleven of you. Uh, yeah, there's roughly eleven of us. <laughs> that's a that's a pretty big studio. It is. Um, I mean, it doesn't feel like it because we're not all together at the same time. And right, right now, it's just me and the programmer working mm-hmm. on getting the vertical slice done. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, how did you all meet and uh, form this team? Uh, I pretty much found people. I'm like, you, I like you. Do you want to work <laughs> on my game? And they're like, 
yes. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently that works better than you think it would. Megan curated staff. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> just Excellent. Like, like we have these two sisters that I just happened to meet at a, an event after uh, I, I run an event called Night of the Indigenous Devs. Um, I'm going to, hopefully it'll happen this year. And uh, it was just like a, a chance for people to come and watch games designed by Indigenous devs played by audience members and then have the, the developers talk about the project and, uh, and what it meant to them and what went into it. And there was like an after party at a pub and I just ended up talking to these two sisters and uh, one was an artist and she was really interested in getting into games and doing art for games. And the other one was a writer and she was interested in getting into narrative design. And I was like, you're hired. <laughs> and they were like, what? And I was like, yeah. That's awesome. Is yeah. most of the team indigenous? Uh, yeah, I think we're at like 60%, 65%. Was that a, a deliberate decision or is that just the people who were drawn to it or people who you were drawn to? Uh, I mean, that was a decision on my part in terms of um, if I was just going to be like, you work for me. Uh, yeah, usually it was because they were indigenous. I saw that they had a talent. They were interested in games. And I was like, mm. eh, I'm, I have the time. I can train you. Um, so that was one of the things that I I decided I was going to do with this studio was that I was going to find young Indigenous people who were talented in one area, who were interested in games, and I was just going to train them up. Um, because one, anybody who's Indigenous and already working in games or like animation or something like that is just going to already be super busy. They're usually well established. Um, and to, I do really want this to be a studio that lasts for a while. And I feel like building up talent is the easiest way to keep it. I mean, I have mm -hmm. lost people um, because I am finding people who are very talented and I don't have a lot of money. They definitely are able to find other opportunities or better opportunities. And sometimes that is because they were working on this project and someone saw their work and was like, oh my God, I'd really love to hire you. I can offer you this much. Um, and I was really upfront with everybody about like, that's okay. Um, mm -hmm. Just like, please don't leave me in a lurch. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we've, I think about three people since the start way back in like 2017 have gone on to like find other work. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're based out of Hamilton, right? Yeah. How do you find the game dev scene in Hamilton? Oh, um, I actually live in Toronto. The company's based out of Hamilton. Oh, so. gotcha. Yeah. How do you um, find the game dev scene in Toronto? Oh, I love it. Um, yeah. It's weird. Um, it really depends on which, like, like uh, nexus you're interested in. So you can kind of, like, everyone kind of knows about each other or knows someone who knows somebody. But you can kind of keep to your own little, like, posse, I guess. <laughs> your little clique. Um, but it never feels cliquish. Like, it's, it feels more like if you're not comfortable with people doing, like, I don't know, more AAA stuff, um, you can hang out with your friends doing, like, weird indie twine stuff. Um, mm -hmm. But if, but, like, I feel like people from all over are always moving in and out of circles. <clears throat> mm -hmm. The game scene in, in Hamilton when I was there was, like, uh, a little bit more very, very small studios and usually the kind of studios that are focused on like a freemium model mm -hmm. uh, plus a lot of students so like the 
Hamilton game dev drinks. Like, I loved going to those. Those were really chill. It was a really good group of people, but um, I guess maybe, like, they were a little bit more intense than I'm used to in Toronto, where, like, it was very much about, like, gotta make the money or otherwise we're gonna go bankrupt or, like, gotta do real good or otherwise I'm never gonna get a job. And I was just like, okay, like, <laughs> games for fun. And they're like, what? No. For fun? Fun. And they're like, we play games for fun. You don't make games for fun. I was like, oh, okay. Oh, man. And so, so like... Do you, do you know our guy, Brett? Brett Meeser? Oh, I know Brett. Oh, no. <laughs> you say that like it's a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, he stole my game jam. What? Yeah, he started... I used to run something called Ham Jam, and then he just, like, went ahead and took the name and ran his own thing without telling me. Well, he told me, and I asked him not to, and then he ran it anyways. Um, and then we had... Brett. We had words, and then he was just like, I don't understand why you're upset. I'm like, I know you don't, Brett. I know. Oh, no. Yeah. I'm sorry that happened to you. Yeah. He, he's very much like, he's a man of his own mind, is how I'd put it. That's a good description. Yeah. There's, like, really no telling him that what he's doing is wrong, which, yeah, that's why we don't talk. <laughs> well, understood. <laughs> um. Another question I had, uh, I went, uh, as I said, I went to school in Brantford, uh, which is on the territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee, Haudenosaunee First Nations. And um, uh, I talked to some uh, students there, and they didn't even really consider themselves Canadians because, like, it's their own nations, right? Um, do you and any of your team, do you mind being described as, like, a quote-unquote Canadian game studio, or do you feel differently? Or identify yeah, differently. I think, uh, I think some people have used language like Canadian-based indigenous game studio. Um, we're made up of like a bunch of different nations, so we're not mm. really like... Uh, so I'm like fine with the Canadian title, especially because like federally that's how we're recognized as like a Canadian corporation. So mm. like I don't I don't really care about that distinction at this point. Who knows in 10 years, but now right. I don't. <laughs> um. All right, I have some questions about uh, your games now, if that's okay. Yeah. Uh, your earlier game, Wanisinoan Lost? Yeah. You described Wani it as a game. Sorry, pardon? Wanisinoan. Wanisinoan uh, Straight Line Lost. <laughs> uh, you described as a game drawing from personal experiences. Is the same true for Hill Agency? Um. Hill Agency is more okay. It's it's a bunch of things, but in terms of the the indigenous aspect of the world, it was more like me projecting what would the future be like for someone like me. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of someone who's indigenous, does not have a community to go to, back to, is very distant from language, um, is trying to learn language, and I'm not even close to being the only one who's going through the same thing even within Toronto or the GTA. So it was like, what if there was like a couple hundred thousand of us and we're all kind of struggling the same way without a connection to a community that's like a, that's traditionally based or like in a reserve. Um, and you don't have that tie to any like, speci- like, you know your nation, but you don't have like a clan or a family you can turn to. Um, you know, what would that look like going forward? So a lot of the language, like I'm doing a lot of the language Um, like a lot of the Cree writing in the game. And initially I was like, oh man, this is going to be terrible. Why? (laughs) In terms of like people who actually speak Cree will be like, I don't understand. (laughs) Oh no. 
And then I was sort of thinking about like William Gibson, like Neuromancer, mm-hmm. and how the language of the book was almost like a wall you had to like swim through to get to the understand the meaning of what people were actually saying and how it just drops you in mm-hmm. and it doesn't expect you to like understand right away. And then on second reading, you're like, oh, okay, now I know what they're saying. Um, so I was like, you know, this is kind of how I would be going like going forward is like, you know, if you have an entire group of people who are trying to piecemeal learn a language, it's not going to sound right uh, or quote unquote right. It's it's going to be kind of a mesh of things. It's going to have weird accents. Um, it's going to use different grammar, probably it'll be or like be a mesh of grammar. So. I was like, you know what? That's okay. I can just be like, if they're like, I don't get it. This isn't Cree. I'm like, no, it's future Cree. You're going to lean into that. It's like a new new dialect. Yeah. You know what? You just got to lean into your your shortcomings when it comes to games and just be like, no, that's not a bug. That's a feature. Excellent. Uh, to that point, on the site, you uh, say you're making games uh, talking about indigenous futurism. Um, that's uh, a term I heard before, I think that was the first time I'd heard that, but previously I've heard um, like a- African futurism when people talked about like Black Panther and Wakanda and like, mm-hmm. what if there was a city that never got invaded and raided, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so how would you describe indigenous futurism to someone totally ignorant about it like myself? Well, um, indigenous futurism is actually a term coined by uh, academic uh, Gail, oh my God. Beth LaPonce is going to be so mad at me because it's her mom. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, oh, my God. Oh, yeah, it's uh, so for me, indigenous futurisms is is very similar to Afrofuturisms in that it's a way of like, um, I guess, exploring a space in the future that you weren't sure whether or not could exist, should exist. Uh, I mean, like Wakanda, those ideas, they're kind of like placed in the present and indigenous futurism can be kind of like that and is sort of like that in that the idea of indigenous existence is something that is less linear and more sort of like, you know, there's such a thing as space time and like us in the future is us in the past and it can be really beautiful like I really love that's the thing I always liked about sci-fi is it's so weird it can get so weird with like time and length and space and I feel like that just indigenous futurism really leans into that oh Dr. Grace Dillon that was it she actually uh like outlined a whole um I guess article or paper on how you can how indigenous people can use science fiction to sort of aid in the process of decolonization Um, And in a way, my game is sort of an exploration of what is that space like right before you have total freedom from a colonized power. Um, I do find those those boundaries of, of, I guess, space and time where things aren't quite perfect, but they're Mm -hmm. or like things aren't quite good, but they're so close to be really interesting and especially when it comes to like something like colonialism and capitalism which very much can act like a wounded animal and lash out when it's not getting what it thinks it wants or needs 
um, or like, you know, the people behind it are doing that. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, what would be really, what would be like really interesting is looking at that sort of like that butting of heads against like a sovereign indigenous nation in the future and sort of like the last vestiges of colonial capitalism power and the 1%. Um, and it wasn't even really about like sort of race. I mean, I remember somebody making a comment about like, oh, I bet the bad guys are going to be white. I was like, oh, it's so much worse than that. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it was one of the things I liked about William Gibson stuff was like, when it comes to power, there race doesn't matter anymore because you're powerful and that in itself is its own thing. And that's why so much of the game takes up uh, a lot of conversations about class and like class warfare and the idea of how the middle class is used um, against the poor and, and how the poor is even like a, a construct of capitalism that's required in order to make the whole system work, which mm-hmm. is like really horrific when you start diving into that. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to show that juxtaposition against like, what would a, a sovereign indigenous nation that is concerned with, yes, commerce still exists, but they're concerned with like family, they're concerned with neighbors, they're concerned with like things doing well for each other versus like this sort of class structure that's only concerned with the welfare of a few people at the very top. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, this will be fun. <laughs> that's what I like. <laughs> just, some, just some light topics for a game. Just some light topics. I'm pretty sure we're going to get an M rating. That's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Um, so why a detective game? I love mysteries so much. Like I love pulp detective stuff. I my mom used to get me those um, detective magazines that had like twenty short stories in them and like maybe one chapter of a longer book, and I would just like consume them like candy. Um, I love being able to figure out the mystery before the detective did. Um, I remember getting mad. I, I stopped reading Agatha Christie's because she cheats. How she uh, cheat? She, like, hides stuff that, like, the the detective saw, but the player, or the, sorry, the... The reader? Uh, the reader doesn't see. So, like, Poirot is... So, I like the Poirot TV series because they can't do that. Mm-hmm. I don't like the Poirot book series because what she often does is have Poirot notice something but then not mention it and it's not written about. And then at the end, he's like, aha, I do because her brooch was yellow. And you're like, never said that. <laughs> Literally never said that. And I was like... That, and that's that's not fun. Um, and to me, I found uh, detective novels very engaging and almost interactive in that it was like a race to fi- like see who could figure it out first. Mm-hmm. And then it was like such a great feeling when the detective's like, it was this person. You're like, yeah, I knew it. <laughs> it almost like you were trying to play the Poirot books like a game <laughs> when they weren't designed that way. But a lot of detective game, a lot of detective stories were designed that way like they wanted you to play along with the detective they wanted you to almost be like they wanted you to be like watson they like that's the one thing i liked about the sherlock holmes books was Mm -hmm. that sherlock was always trying to train watson and in a way like train the viewer Mm -hmm. and that was very much sir arthur colin doyle's uh purpose of the sherlock holmes books was to to teach people how to think um in a deductive um manner and i guess inductive as well and i was like i've always liked that um 
I find it's very helpful for me. I also feel like a lot of people have grown up learning the deductive reasoning method. And mm-hmm. so now I feel like detective games could get a little bit harder because most people, I think, come in with that base of, well, I know what deductive reasoning is. And they still, they, they don't really teach it the way like the Sherlock Holmes books teach it, but they do teach it in schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, like de- detecting and detective work is in all these procedurals and whether they realize it or not, they are teaching a methodology that people then take into their own lives. Now, the level of that, you know, really depends on the person. But Mm. what I wanted to make in this game was um, something that like let you make up your mind about what the answer is and not always know if you're right. Okay, so there might not be that big reveal moment at the end of this game? Oh, there'll be a, yeah, no, no, there'll still be a story with a big reveal. So the main plot, yes, you're going to get a big reveal. The mini mysteries along the way, you'll get a reveal. But in terms of, like, the smaller moments where you make an accusation, you you can, uh, so one of the things that we're trying to do, and I don't know how it'll fare, it may fall flat. But one of the things we're trying to do is create opportunities in the game for you to accuse the wrong person, maybe sometimes even on purpose. Um, You know, we wanted something where you could be wrong, but you had to be like a kind of wrong. You couldn't be like super just I'm throwing a bunch of stuff together and seeing what sticks. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was more like, does all the evidence match up? And then you kind of hand in your accusation. Like you even have to do paperwork a little bit. A little bit. Just a little bit. Because I was like, yeah, why not? Um, we, we actually based it on the um, form a detective has to write up in order to get a, um, a warrant for an arrest in Ontario. Because huh. it was like pretty straightforward. They don't, you don't need a, um, uh, a reason or a motive. You just need who is it. What was it? What's your evidence? And then you kind of present it. And like the judge isn't always a judge. Sometimes the judge is like your aunt or that guy down the street. But you're still kind of like putting it together. And then, you know, the character presents it to the person who's asked for the accusation to Mm -hmm. see who did it. Uh, And there's definitely going to be opportunities where somebody can be framed. And there may even be opportunities where you like realize someone's framed, but you need them to take the fall either for their own safety or because you're like, oh, this will get me closer to something else that I really need to get to. But it's really going to be dependent on the player. Um, And it's not really going to change the ending. So we're not doing multiple endings. But what we do want to do is, depending on how good or bad of a detective you are, depending on, like, whether you're constantly giving, like, accusing the wrong person, um, it just opens or closes side quests. So if... You keep accusing the wrong person, people are just gonna not trust you and they're just gonna <laughs> stop giving you opportunities to quote unquote help them. So all you get left is like that golden route. So you can like so you will finish the game, no matter how bad of a detective you are. Mm-hmm. It's just more like eventually at some point the game's just gonna be like, okay, I'm taking your hand now, we're just gonna go this way because <laughs> you can't be trusted. Because you're bad at this. You're bad at this. And that's okay for some people. Like, sometimes they just want to get through the story. Uh, But I think for people like me who are really into that, I don't want to call it hardcore, but more like that in-depth analytical style of detective work, 
and want to not be told what the answer is, want, like actually wants to come to the conclusion on their own. Mm-hmm. I think this will be really like this will be really great for them. You mentioned in the trailer uh, games like Oxenfree as inspiration. Yeah, I really like the dialogues, um, like the dialogue trees they had and the way like you could not answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was like a timer. And so that's definitely something we haven't totally put into the game, but that we're trying to figure out how we can make work. Uh, because I do think silence works a lot in the favor in favor for some detectives. And the idea was that you're playing a character, like it's more like an RPG in terms of there's a character who's already set, like Hill's already kind of set as a person. You're not really you're not really informing what kind of person they are, but you get you know how like people have flavors of the day? So mm-hmm. it's like either they're sarcastic or they're quiet or they're a little bit rough, but it doesn't change who the person is. It's just how they felt like addressing that particular situation. Mm-hmm. So that's what you as the player gets to do when it comes to conversations is sort of pick what flavor of uh, retort or uh, questioning you want to do. And that's what I liked about Oxenfree was that they kind of had a similar thing where these characters are set as people, but you're kind of choosing which of these responses do you feel fits in this moment or Mm -hmm. like you know whatever you're feeling it's almost like you as the player are playing as that uh that temperament okay so are you participating or or foreseeing uh, anyone doing a complete silent playthrough of hill agency oh my god i hope so (laughs) okay sweet those are always my my favorite playthroughs of games like the walking dead or oxen free and stuff (laughs) that'd be amazing are there any other games or media your team's drawing inspiration from? Uh, a lot of, like, sci-fi that came out of Japan, especially, like, in anime and manga. Um, what's it called? Murdoch Scramble, that book. Uh, that was definitely something I was, like, took a lot from. Um, there was something about, like, Japan sci-fi in the 2000s. It was very dark. Um, hmm. It was almost like an exploration of sort of like how cruel people could be to each other for what seemed like no reason or or just for profit. And I felt like that really felt, uh, sorry, that really fit the tone I think we're trying to take when it comes to the the sort of like colonial areas of the game. Because hmm. you're, you're investigating the murder of a girl in this game, correct? Mm-hmm. Is she an indigenous girl? Um, not really. She comes from the Risen City. Okay. Which is, and I'm not going to give away too much, but yeah, it's its own thing. <laughs> so this isn't kind of related to any of like a commentary on like real world murder missing indigenous women investigations? No, not like not purposely. Like there are people who are going to like draw those parallels. And even like within our own team, we've kind of drawn those parallels. And it's something we're very mindful of. Mm-hmm. Um, we're very careful not to use like actual names of anybody who's been involved. Um, but also it's like, it's like indigenous or not, like the the murder of women is pretty prevalent in our society. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of like a reality we live with. And I never see sci-fi as taking you out of the moment. I always see it more as a reflection of the moment. Um, I did like the idea though of, actually solving 
the case. Um, it's like not catharsis like, there? Yeah. Like, it's not going to bring closure to anyone. Like, that's not what I'm... I'm not arrogant enough to think that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think having an Indigenous female character, you know, solve this murder, like, at least feels like, oh, I'm doing something. Something the RCMP time, can't do. Yeah, right? <laughs> But at the same time, it's like, you know, we're kind of enmeshed in murder mysteries. I can't remember the last time I watched a mystery that, like, didn't involve someone getting killed. Mm-hmm. And actually, when I started, I was like, oh, I don't really want that to be the thing. But... What changed? Um, I think it was just, when we started, it was such an easy trope to play with. Mm-hmm. And then it just kind of stuck. The uh, stakes are higher. Yeah, the stakes are higher. And it definitely is something that kind of gets people like people going so i guess the concession i've made was to keep that as the main plot but that the other mysteries are going to be very light on the death gotcha <laughs> it was not the same as it being lighthearted. right it'll yeah. just be like stolen brooches or stuff yeah or like i don't know human trafficking and, oh you know light yeah, stuff like, there's lots of ways to hurt people without killing them <laughs> I yeah I guess <laughs> that sounded ominous. Is <laughs> <laughs> a threat. Yeah. <laughs> um, what does the like? Um, I don't know what you call the part of a title that's like after the main part, but it's like colon purity and decay. Uh, oh, the subtitle. <laughs> yeah, the subtitle. Like, yeah. Okay. Now you say it, it sounds obvious. But... Obviously, yeah. So, was... what does the subtitle of the game uh, mean? Uh you're gonna have to play when it finally comes out. <laughs> uh, one of those answers, yeah. eh? Okay, okay. I definitely don't want to pull a No Man's Sky, so... Mm, I'm going to find other detectives in the game, right? And we'll be on the yeah. same planet together? <laughs> yeah, and then, like, yeah, you can play with other people, and also it'll be on fire the whole Excellent. time. Excellent. <laughs> 18 million possible endings. Oh, God. <laughs> like, when um, I actually remember when I did the pitch for Ubisoft, and I was telling them about the whole thing about, like, you can accuse, you can make the wrong accusation... And the first thing the narrative designer in the room was like, so there's multiple endings? I'm like, absolutely not. And she smiled and nodded and gave me a thumbs up. I was like, <laughs> That's how you know. That's how you know. <laughs> that, that person spent too much time in spreadsheets to yes. listen to you talk about multiple endings. Yeah, spreadsheets. Oh, my God. I was like, no multiple endings. I was like, maybe, maybe I'll do a binary choice at the ending that, like, is flair but like i honestly feel like that pisses people off more than just being like no there's only one ending and that's all you're getting hmm. it's kind of tired at this point but it's like that I- i've listened to people talk about the end of the last of us where uh you straight up oh. just get get the ending the ending everyone has a canonical ending whereas people are like yeah. well i didn't want to lie to ellie i just like why couldn't i choose and you're like because you didn't get to that's the person yeah. joel is yeah I was uh, fine flying. I have I have so much to rant about that ending. But <laughs> I'm so mad they're making a sequel, but I've had spent oh, too yeah. much time talking about that. <laughs> it ended perfectly. They just keep okay. I've spent any CanadianGameDevs.com podcast listeners know that Steve and I have very different opinions about the ending of The Last of Us. Oh but, yeah. Uh, I have to ask: Have you played La Noire? No. Well, no, that's not true. I did. I played. I played like the first part. Um, I really didn't like it. That my second question was, what did you think? I just, um, I know what they were going for. I, mm-hmm. I actually commend them for trying, uh, despite how everything kind of fell apart for the company. 
Uh, I just feel like facial expressions is like that's such a small part of what detectives do. And they put mm-hmm. so much emphasis on it. And I was like, you can't trust people's facial expressions. Oh, also the thing that irritated me to no end was the little, like, you're going to say this would turn out to be something (laughs) totally different. And I was like, no, I don't want to. What? No. Why are we accusing him? I don't want to accuse him. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Like your little, like, is it doubt or lie or whatever? And then you would go off on them. Yeah, and you're like, oh, man, like, you know, there's no, there was a uh, little nuance, I think, to the reactions that the player could take. Mm-hmm. And being a detective is, I mean, have you seen Mindhunter? No. Oh, man, I recommend, if you yeah. like detective stuff. Okay. Um, it basically is a fictionalized version or a fictionalized account of what the FBI actually did to put in place the systems that we now use in interrogation. Um, and through the like through the work of a small group of people who were, uh, I guess, interviewing serial killers who were caught. And this is like huh. in the six seventies, I think, sixties or seventies. And I mean, like that's really interesting to see like the progression of uh, police procedures, uh, especially interrogation, because this was sort of where that whole idea of like, you know, there's a kind of arrogance. Or that um, the sort of crimes that is is committed in a society is a reflection of sort of the um, the society itself. Uh, so that it's sort of like um, how would you describe it? It's like okay, this is going to sound gross, but like it's like a zit that mm-hmm. appears on your body, and it's there because there's something in your body that's causing that pustule either like it's a poison or your hormones are out of whack and the psychologist um i guess i don't know if he was a psychologist proper if he was just like an agent who had a real interest in sort of how mine works he and the woman who was a psychologist that he worked with to develop these procedures really saw that the way criminals and especially like particularly uh murders and serial killers behaved was a direct reaction to problems within the society. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the if you live in a very um, misogynistic society, even though it's, like, all kind of kept under, like, this nice veneer, the explosion of uh, deviant behavior will be in reaction to sort of that negativity. So it was a lot of serial killers were young men who were disenfranchised, which made sense because you had this system telling them they should be special and amazing who mm-hmm. weren't. And then they were taking their frustration out on women who were, they were, even though you kind of had this veneer of civilization of like, oh, we're all kind of like equal-ish, you know, oh, women are there to be uh, used. And so it's really interesting how that kind of all is a reflection of the society. And that's the same thing that I'm kind of trying to show in my game is that like the deviant actions that people take in a society are a reflection of the sort of, I guess you would almost call it the poison inherent in that society. Mm-hmm. And L.A. Noir did not think about that. <laughs> they spent a lot of money on the animation budget. Yes, which makes sense. <laughs> uh, these are just things I think really deeply about. And I'm not saying that nobody on that team did either. I'm also very aware of, you know, publishers and producers and even just the fact that you have a team of a sheer amount of 
the sheer size of a team can cause almost like a watering down of particular ideas, especially if those ideas are like very nuanced and very difficult to get across to the player. Mm-hmm. And I think with a small team like mine and also kind of with me being the narrative and the mechanic designer, um, I'm just able to do that kind of stuff. And I, I think that's why also a lot of AAA games look at indie games and like, oh, cool. I wish we could do that. And I'm like, you could. <laughs> you <if> could. It's, <laughs> it's risky. It's so risky, um, which is why they let us take the risk. <laughs> it's true. Uh, have you seen Backbone developed uh, by Egnat in Vancouver? Uh, I did see I did see the trailer that looks so cool I know that came out like right when I was going for like all my funding and I was like god damn it <laughs> so <laughs> I was wondering what, what you think oh I love it yeah I think I think it's so cool I love that it's like set in Vancouver I love that it's a raccoon it's so <laughs> cool. they uh, they lean into they have a not small furry fandom and oh. uh their Twitter <laughs> leans into it a lot uh, I, I find that you know, find your audience, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, do you are you worried about any overlap or similarities between Hill Agency and Backbone? Uh, there are so many detective games, and there's going to be so many noir and cyberpunk stuff coming out in the next two years. I got more to worry about. More to worry about. Yeah. Uh, also, I mean, I've always kind of looked at games the way I like look at a library or a bookstore. Like, nobody walks into a library like, Psh, too much books. You <laughs> need to get rid of this entire mystery section. It's like, you have a whole section for mystery? You got a whole section for mystery in this bookstore. You're like, oh, we need, like, one. <laughs> I was like, no, uh, because mystery players and detective game players are not monogamous players. Like, And all these games are relatively short when compared to sort of, like, Minecraft or, like, Fortnite, or even some of the like stuff coming out of Ubisoft and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like these are the pulp novels of the game world. Like people are going to consume all of them. I'm not really worried. Um, mm-hmm. It is one of the reasons why I'm trying to make sure that my game is a relatively short experience because I do want people to finish, but also because we need to keep our scope low for our first one. If we want to go longer, I mean, the reason why I have the subtitle. Hill Agency subtitle is so we can keep doing more in the series. Mm-hmm. You're thinking a, like an indigenous Nancy Nancy Drew series. Yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> I like that. They're making like they're still making them. One came out. I know. Oh, my friend's a big Nancy Drew fan, and, and she was telling me about like the latest one to come out. But it still looks like a late '90s point and click. They've clearly found their niche, and they're sticking to it. <laughs> What's one thing you wish you knew at the start of your game design career that you know now? Uh, like, I still don't know. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> Everything. Uh, uh, like, if you go back and grab Megan at the start of her career, like, slap her a couple times and tell her one thing, what would you tell her? Uh, you're doing okay, kid. I mean, like, that was, <laughs> that was really the thing, I think, when I started it out. I had no confidence, which was really, I think, extra frustrating because my profs had all the confidence in me. And you have no idea how irritating it is to go to your, like, you know, veteran game industry prof and be like, I'm never going to make it. And you're like, pshaw. He's like, you're going to be lap walking circles around all these kids in years. I'm like, really doesn't feel like it, sir. I really <laughs> wish you could say something a little bit more comforting. <laughs> I feel like Megan from the future did come to me through, like, my teacher. It was like, yeah, you'll be fine. 
So anything uh, else you want people to know about um, your studio or your game? Um, no, I, I think like that's a lot. I mean, one of the things I, I do want to kind of shout out to is my fan base is the most chill fan base ever. Maybe too chill, but I'm not sure if that's a bad thing yet. We'll <laughs> see when sales comes. You'd probably um, rather have too chill than too... Too uh, excited. Yeah, the other side. Yeah, no, I really, I really like it. Um, our, so our Kickstarter was successful and even like a little bit over successful, but it wasn't like, you know, a, an explosion of money or anything like that. And we had about 300-ish people, which I was like comfortable with. And they were all like really nice and like really chill and just really excited to just help out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's also one of the reasons for our, why during our Kickstarter, we didn't offer a version of the game. So we weren't doing Mm pre-sales. I was like, do you just want to invest in this? Um, And if yes, please throw a couple dollars our way. And if no, that's cool. You can buy the game when it comes out. And yeah, everyone was just like, yeah, I want to see this happen. Yeah, I'm okay with donating a couple extra dollars. And I was like, thank you. And everyone's just been like, yeah, just keep it up. Just tell us when things are going. And we will get to the point where we can start like cultivating a bigger conversation and actually get people more engaged. But right now, like it's really nice to not have people like, is it out yet? Is it out yet? Is it out yet? <laughs> like I mean, like we're still actually on schedule to get out when we said it would be out, which is nice. We'll see come August 2021. You got but, time. It could all yeah. fall apart by then. There's a pandemic. This is how anxiety-ridden I am. I'm like, that's not enough time. We need more time. <laughs> I, like, uh, we just started talking with, um, I guess it's sort of like a game-bespoke publishing house, not quite Pop Agenda. I know Pop Agenda. Yeah, we Rogue just started. Rogue Legacy, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, that's yeah, awesome. Like, yeah, they were really excited about our project. So we're, we're, t- we're in talk with them right now about sort of, you know, what, can they offer and they seem to really like our project but it's really it was really nice to be like you know oh we've like there's like well when's your project coming out and she was like full of dread for my answer and I was like oh like October 2021 she's like oh we got so much time like I don't feel like it (laughs) well they're confident and they put out a bunch of games so yeah so that should be good um, yeah, and I'm, I'm, it's really nice also to kind of get that validation from people who've been there about yeah. that we are on the right track. Um, yeah, I think it was just the one thing that uh, maybe one thing I would tell myself going back is like you are going to fall down so many times. It has mm-hmm. nothing to do with the quality of your work. It just has everything to do with not the right person, not the right time. Mm-hmm. It's almost like dating. Making games. <laughs> Making, well, making getting money for games is like dating. Like, <laughs> I feel like you're. I feel like I'm just like an on endless parade of dates where I'm like get, putting on my best clothes and taking like my pitch deck and like doing the whole thing and smiling too much the whole time. And then they'd be like, "Yeah, I'm not really feeling it." I'm like, "Yeah, I'm not really feeling you." Okay. <laughs> yeah, you don't. You don't dump me. I quit. Yeah, I quit. I didn't want your money anyways. Like it, that definitely feels I've had. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, yeah, it's it's not it's not an indication of my worth. It's not even an indication of the goodness of the project. It really has everything to do with like there are things that they need that we're not meeting, or you know maybe they would have said yes if it had this thing, but they're not able to articulate what it was that they needed. 
Um, no. That that has nothing to do with the quality. It has everything to do with just not right person, not right time. And I just need to be okay with that. I think every mm-hmm. game dev needs to be okay with that. That it's not it's not always you. <laughs> Actually, most of the time it's not you. It's them. It's them, and that's not that's not a bad thing. You just like. Uh, and then also, you know, I guess you have to almost know yourself, uh, like, is it worth changing? Or do you really feel strongly that this is the way it has to be? In which case you need to go find someone else. Mm-hmm.